they know that they want to get from point A to point B, and I am helping them with very specific strategies, time efficiency um, in mind to help them get to that other, that next step. Food, of course, is the universal language, and it's brought so many of us together um, in our great industry. Today's guest has traveled the world, has been influenced by food and wine and great beverages pretty much around the world. Um, She is a restaurant entrepreneur as well as a restaurant strategist. You're not going to want to miss this episode. We're going to talk all about, you know, starting a new concept, of course, as well as What does it mean to be a restaurant strategist? So stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, your team are the foundation of your business. And every shift, they're leaving impressions with your guests in your restaurant. Now, every impression counts and they have to be positive. Training is the key and absolutely essential to providing what I call amazing dining experiences. But effective training takes time and commitment if you had to do it yourself. Well, imagine a staff training tool that's completely customized to your restaurant brand and restaurant. It teaches your entire menu and what makes your restaurant brand special. Then it trains your team, your entire team, to sell because sales are the lifeblood of your business. Now, it's also important to recognize rising talent in your organization. This tool also trains future stars to become leaders that can run your business for you. I call that an exit strategy. Now, this tool is called Serve. Now, learn more at srvnow.com. That's srvnow.com. Check it out. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. With me today is Martha Lucius, and she is a restaurant strategist as well as a restaurateur with some big projects ahead. Welcome to the show, Martha. How are you? Uh, Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Well, you know, this is really fun because we are going to talk strategy, of course, and we're going to talk what's important, what's going on in the restaurant world today, and how we can help operators improve their business. But before we do, Tell us the history of hospitality for you. And everybody's story is different. And you can take us back as far as it began, whether you started cooking in your mom or grandma's kitchen, or if you worked as a restaurant as a young person, or how did you get to, obviously, the career trajectory, how you got to where you are today. And we'll get into all of that. But take us back as far as you'd like to. Yeah, um, I have kind of an odd story that I grew up overseas in... um, uh, as a diplomat's kid, so my experience in hospitality is really experiencing it as a consumer, as a guest from age four. Um, yeah, we got on a ship to go across the ocean. You know, one of those old-fashioned ocean liners where you yeah, had to dress up right. and curtsy and all those kinds of things oh, wow. back in the day. Yes, and yes. yeah, and Fantastic. from there. Yeah, there, from there it was, you know, eating on the streets in Bangkok to eating in lovely hotels and restaurants in uh, Paris. So um, I I experienced hospitality on a firsthand basis, and um, my cooking I gained along the way a, a lot from whoever was the cook in our house um, because you know the government pays for has a has an allowance for diplomats to make sure that they're serving food that's appropriate, not assuming that the wife of the of the diplomat happens to be a good cook. So this is their way to wow. make sure yeah. uh, good food was being served at our house for wherever we happen to be and whoever we happen to be serving. So um, I learned how to make um, egg rolls from my from the cook that we had in Bangkok um, at age seven. Now, these things that were like teeny weeny, almost like Olympia, the Philippine Olympia, um, at two um, samosas in Bangkok and uh, samosas in um, Tanzania, you know, like all manner of cross-cultural stuff that happens when you're on the other side of the world. So, yeah. Wow, you So you were immersed in different foods and different cultures from a very early age. So what an yes. exposure that was. And yes, I'm sure there were challenges to it being a young kid and moving around so much. I mean, we often hear the stories of military kids that obviously, you know, they're in one place for a short time and then they get transferred to someone else really hard to make friends. But 
I'm, I'm hearing that it was a very positive experience for you and it, and it clearly yeah. shaped your life. Yeah, I, I don't, I never, <laughs> let, let me say, I never knew differently. Um, I was so young when we started traveling that I didn't, in fact, I didn't know I was American. There's a hilarious story of uh, me being surrounded by a bunch of British children for curry dinner, which was a very common uh, post-colonial meal um, in in Nigeria. And um, the kids were teasing me that I was American. And I, I went up to my mom, you know, from Chesterton, Indiana, and said, Mommy, Mommy, tell them I'm British. And she looked at me in her flattest American accent and said, I can't, you're American. <laughs> Oh my! I was so discouraged by her. Oh goodness! Um, but yeah, yeah now I didn't huh. really know differently. And my dad had an amazing curiosity for travel and for food, which is kind of amazing. He's a um, kid that grew up in Montana and be- became part of the U.S. military post World War II in Japan, and just had an amazing uh, innate curiosity, which um, I think pervades pretty much everything about our family, but also pervades how I help restaurant owners in helping find, um, you know, intellectually curious people for their team, which uh, ultimately makes a really good, interesting environment for um, day-to-day operations that you really have fun when you're at work and you really enjoy, you, you build a good culture, which is inviting to people that are coming in. Um, you know, who doesn't want to be with people that you like working with, of right. course. Yeah, the and then how, mm-hmm. how does that translate? It translates very nicely for the for the guests and they feel they feel that hospitality. So you've been exposed to multiple cuisines and lots of different experiences. Are there any particular places and cuisines that to this day you still really appreciate more than others, perhaps? Um uh, I, my brother and I, well, my brother's two favorite are Italian and Thai. My mm-hmm. two favorite okay. are uh, Thai and Indian. Oh, wow. And uh, when yeah. I say Indian, that's a huge um, mm-hmm. country to say in just to, to wrap up in a bow. But my particular favorite is South India. In fact, I take um, chefs on culinary trips to South India as a, as another, because I'm not busy enough. I add that in, <laughs> but One the, of- the culture of <clears throat> the food of South India has like coconuts, shrimp, tomatoes, onions, like, uh, of course, chilies, um, all yeah. kinds of herb. That's where the spice root started is all those crazy weird flavors, um, vanilla, uh, you know, true, like black pepper, red, black, red peppercorns, all that, you know, all incorporating into, into the food. Yeah. Now so. I was going to ask you about that because I have a, one of my best friends in graduate school was from Bombay oh. and interestingly, you know, very steeped in Indian culture when he came to America and it was amazing how quickly we shaped him into more Western culture. Here's a guy that weeks after meeting us was now wearing Hawaiian shirts and flip-flops and calling everybody he, dude. He you know? was thrilled. Right. <laughs> I'm sure he was thrilled to be so American. <laughs> but every time he'd get in the kitchen and cook something, it was so hot. I couldn't even like, I couldn't be down the <laughs> hall and, and walk through, let alone taste this stuff. So Your he, eyes would start watering. Oh my goodness. Like I can't imagine eating this stuff. And so obviously to this day, I'm not really inclined to eat really, really hot cuisines, but it sounds to me like I was going to ask you in Southern India, is that a particularly spicy, hot, um, you know, influence on the I, cooking? Actually, um, Yes and no. You know, anything can be uh, upgraded uh-huh. or downgraded oh, depending on good, on, good, the, good. on who's sitting at the table. Yep. Um, and yes. in fact, the the trip that we uh, took to Kerala, uh, a bunch of the people when they started the trip, they're like, ah, "I don't really eat spicy food," and we're like, "Okay." And uh, probably about three days in, we'd already stepped up their flavor their ability to eat hot spicy. And we, we had a couple of times where we literally pulled a chili pepper off of a vine and yep. like try it. And uh, you know, one of them was like petrified. It was a green and a red chili. See what happens when you eat a green chili, see mm-hmm. what happens mm-hmm. when you eat a red chili. And they're like, Oh my God. But to put that in your mouth and have a different reaction of a green chili versus a red chili where it hits your mouth at the back of the taste buds that the heat 
uh, an irregularity happens in your throat later after you've eaten the food and it's this flavor wow. comes out oh, more wow. strongly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you get, when you're into it, when you're into food, that, that level, you really get excited to see somebody's reaction of like, Oh my God. So you, you can taste that. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's really, it's fun. Yeah. Let's shift gears. What is a restaurant strategist and how do you help operators? Um, so restaurant strategy to me is helping somebody um, stand back from their business, look at their business holistically. And then with my help, they know that they want to get from point A to point B. And I am helping them with very specific strategies, time efficiency um, in mind to help them get to that other that next step. Um, and that, that, and it can, it can take place over three months. It can take place over a year. Um, but there it's, you know, nothing changes super quickly. So when I'm helping an owner, I'm thinking, how do we need to get them? How, how do we get them to that place, uh, a year away being profitable, um, having better, like I said, good culture in their space and making better hires because that's what that w- is what really helps a business is when you have a really amazing team. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a huge believer in that. Um, yeah, I know you are. From We've experience had a couple when conversations. I say so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And today it is more challenging than ever to build that amazing team because so many people have left this business in you know search of you know greener pastures, whatever you want to call it. Um, the upheaval of the pandemic, of course. And now that things are getting back to normal, it's really challenging for restaurants to fully staff their business when business is booming, of course, and they have to close certain hours and certain days. Um, is there any magic pill or any any suggestions that you tell people about how you can get these amazing people and build this amazing culture and keep people happy and keep people performing at their best so that the ultimate guest experience is enhanced by the people that work in a restaurant? I mean, that's... Yeah. You know, that's I mean, don't you think, dust. yeah, don't you also think that the, the restaurant industry is having to take a, a huge shift and having to rethink how, you know, what is an experience and how much, how often we can afford to have them? You know, the, the pizza experience is one thing, but a fine dining or mm-hmm. a lovely dinner is another. And, you know, I speak from experience on this of, um, you know, and you mentioned in the opening that I'm, uh, opening a restaurant, um, yes. later this year, and we've gone through a hiring process, uh, in the last month where, um, we did an open call. We just said, this is show up on this day at this time, but between, you know, 10 and 10 and noon. And, um, there was less pressure on them. It wasn't like this interview spot where they needed to be there. Um, at a certain time that are, you know, exactly at 10. Um, And it was a more free form experience. And it helped us, you know, take the bar down of uh, that concern of was I there on time kind of thing. Um, And it actually, we ended up with 30 applicants for 15 um, openings. Fantastic. And I I think, It was, I, I think there was a, a shift in how restaurant owners need to think um, about mm. the hiring process. Yes. Um, they're, uh, they, they need to be appealing to the, to the staff member too, you know, like, do I want to work at your restaurant? And um, that can be done in a Zoom call. I don't think you know, some people will be very against my idea that they need, you know, you, sh- you need to have somebody show up. But really, in a screening, you could do that in an open call, Agreed. you could do that in um, in a Zoom call, if you then need to see them in person before they actually are hired. Okay, do that. But you can screen through a lot of applicants that way. Or, you know, if you if you have a, a group of six applicants, and you don't know which one is going to be the right one. Doing a Zoom call is a much better start than trying to trying to um, expect them to be. You know, people have busy lives now and busy schedules, and it's complicated with COVID. I mean, we had several people not be able to be there on on the uh, open call because one person had COVID or their roommate had COVID, and we had to reschedule their time. So I think you know it's testing us as restaurant owners 
to think differently and openly and not, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're on this, the endemic side of the pandemic, and we do need to think um, in a new way about how we do our hiring. So I don't know. Does that answer? You does are get touching to- on something really pivotal here. And okay. I want to dive a little deeper into that subject because when you're working with restaurants as a strategist, you're an objective third party that has Correct. a bigger picture view of someone's business and you get to know them over time, of course, but it becomes really clearly evident pretty quickly how things are working or not working. Or not. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So sometimes I'm not sure tough love is the word, but you know what I'm saying? You Somewhere there. shape someone's behavior somehow when you see that their style, their management style, and, and I want to get into management versus leadership in a moment, but yeah, sure. the times have changed so dramatically that, that I believe that staff have different expectations when they're being hired now than they did pre-pandemic. And obviously, restaurants have had to raise the bar on, on their compensation and whatnot to attract people, but it goes beyond compensation. It goes beyond creating an environment or a culture that people feel that they fit in, that they feel that they have a voice in, that they feel that they can make a difference in. And the fit is critically important. Forget the money. I mean, everyone works for a paycheck, but people really work for something more than that. They Mm -hmm. feel they're looking for fulfillment. Okay. Yes. And now when we get back to management style, there's so many different management styles, but I know in my own experience, I've come across a lot of managers that I've had to shift their behavior. Either they were working for me and we sort of over time sort of paradigm shifted. Right. Right. There's a huge difference between management and leadership. So let's Mm -hmm. talk about your experiences with operators and different management styles and whether they're effective or whether you have to sort of change that mindset over time so that they approach their staff in a whole different way. And and in so doing, their retention and their morale and all those things up level. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's honestly, that's the hardest um, because I think you can relate to this. You and I are seeing the here and now of Mm -hmm. um, restaurants in a a very firsthand version. And the restaurant owners that I'm working with are, you know, dealing with their day-to-day operations, which are not attractive and not appealing right now. And they're doing their best to keep up. So to have an outside voice come in and correct them feels awful in some yes, ways. Yes. And You're touching and, on that that delicate balance. It's uh, so it's so oh, tough. And and yeah. honestly the the way that I've helped them approach that in a way that doesn't feel um instructive or or uh you know holier than thou is to help them rethink their steps of hiring. And if I, if I can just go down that road a little bit of, you know, this open call is one of them, but um, I always recommend that um, an interview is, can be, should be the first step in training. If you have, if you end up finding um, that that person on the, on the other side of the screen yeah. or the person that, that shows up for the interview um, may be a good fit, you start seeing if your style of restaurant, your the culture that you're in is is meeting them. Like uh, when eye contact, like do does this person understand what you're talking about? Are they curious? Are they asking questions? Right. And you can you are in responding to those questions um and responding to the way they answer a certain question. That that's like training like pre you know <laughs> pre restaurant, you know, pre hire. And um, if they're if they're a good fit, they're going to remember that what they learned in the interview as being pivotal to that restaurant owner thinking differently, thinking about them. And, right. you know, going back to that intellectual curiosity thing, if if the person when we one of the one of this 30 that we um, interviewed out of that, there were about three people that were like, you know, when we said, do you have other questions? They're like, no, no, pretty well got it. It's like, you're not going to fit in here. Like, I appreciate that they thought that they understood the whole thing, but there's a, 
any restaurant, the brand that you are creating or the brand that already Uh exists that you're trying to shift, which is where I find myself is like helping a restaurant when they've been five or 10 years in business and they're, they're out of touch and uh, the owner is out of touch and trying to get the, the staff member that's hitting that's very contemporary and knows where the hospitality industry is going. And this owner who's not tuned in to a lot of stuff, I'm helping bridge that gap, but they're also having to, to have a person who's intellectually curious on the other side to keep them continually being modern and being contemporary to the, the way the shifts in hospitality and the shifts in hires. That's, that's exactly where I'm going with this, because again, there are managers or owners of restaurants that are asking questions, trying to figure out if that person fits the organization. But what they're also should be looking at is that two-way street of, is this person curious? Is this person informed about the restaurant before they walk in the door? Can I tell if this Uh person is really interested in working here or just going through the motions of interviewing and that sort of thing? And will this person fit with all the other people? Is there chemistry? You know, I used to ask these really off the wall questions that were very difficult or impossible to answer if the person was trying to tell me what they thought I wanted to hear, you know, really right. just unusual stuff, but really getting right. at the heart of who this person is, what's in their heart, what's in their head, what's their spirit, you know, just what well, motivates it, them, all those things. Yeah, I think it, it's uh, a good moment to, to, uh, share a couple questions that we used in our interview um, at church. Uh, One of them was to ask if they could have a superpower, what would it be? And that that was great fun because, you know, then you really get into what they, the way they think, what's important to them and create causes them to be creative, which I want a creative person um, on my team. Heck yeah. And if I, if I can, see them with that superpower that helps me again, when they're hired of like, this is what engages them. Like one person um, said that they wanted to have uh, like extra natural hearing because they wanted to know before they got to a table, what, whether this was the right time to show up to the table, whether, you know, obviously you pick up some of those cues, you know, obviously we pick up those, Uh you know, like I shouldn't show up now, but you know, sometimes you can't always tell that. And this person was like, I wish I had that here, not to be voyeur, um, or not to not, not a negative thing, but but like, Oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating to be, to want that. Um, yeah. and then the other one was the other cool question. I mean, yeah, the, the, that's awesome. the Chelsea that's running the church bar with me is a very creative thinker. And the other one, the other question was, um, if you could be any, um, tool in the kitchen, this was more for the culinary team. Um, if you could be any tool, what would it be? And, and the most interesting one was apron. I want to be an apron. And I was like, apron, but, but the apron protects things from going wrong, protects the person that's washing mm-hmm. the dishes from getting wet. The, that pr- creates a shell from, uh, oh. th- it, it, it was like, Oh, it's a superpower. I'm not even gonna, yeah, power. I'm not even right. Yeah. I'm not even gonna, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna let people think about that one rather than tell them the, the complete answer. But, uh, wow. fascinating when you, mm-hmm. when you take, out of context questions, like you're saying, like you just, you're, you're testing to understand who they are. And, um, and I think that that's even more like you're saying, like, I don't want somebody who's wants a job. I want somebody who's engaged with this brand. Um, obviously I'm talking about this restaurant that we're this, this cocktail bar that we're opening, but I mean that also for many of my clients right now, I'm having to have them think outside the box. And and there are certain clients that are like, no, 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 we've got our hiring down. We know what we're doing on hiring. I'm always like, do you? You're too close to it. <laughs> right. Right. You're, you're doing what you've been doing. How about, yeah, how about right. having a new approach? And, you know, yeah. hopefully they're, they're open-minded, the owner's open-minded and this gets to servant leadership, which, you know, servant leadership versus management style. Um, and I'm a big fan of servant leadership. I want an owner to hire people that can help the owner move the brand forward without that owner having to be there for every second of the 
service. Thank you very much. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so important. Yeah, exactly. And there, there then lies that magic word empowerment, you know, mm-hmm. and developing a team to run the place as if they own the place and be fiscally responsible and, and just watch all the, you know, the details, but they need to be recognized and rewarded for that too. But absolutely. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're, you're yeah. right on target with that. Let me ask you something. Are there particular things? projects because every client engagement is different are there particular projects that you enjoy more than others is there a do you specialize in any specific i mean we've talked about the labor thing okay so we've covered that and and how we talk about hiring and and the approach what what else do you specialize in and what do you enjoy doing yeah um so i actually know that um i've you know in in the time that i've been with my business I obviously um, relate best to cafe people <clears throat> because I had a cafe for 18 years. So they um, understand that I understand where they're coming from. That's hmm. one um, thing. But I also have had some really wonderful fine dining uh, restaurant clients because they care about that hospitality, that high-end hospitality that I'm talking about it, oh, and that yes. is, is an international experience. Um, that, um, you know, whether I land in Kuala Lumpur or whether I land in London, um, a high level of hospitality is something that's enjoyable to every human. And, um, sure. and, and then the other part of um, my style of work is virtual. Um, because I have so much experience with hospitality, uh, I don't need to be in place with a client. I like to go and have a visit sometime within about a month of when uh, we start working together. But you know, I have had clients in New Mexico, um, in California, in um, one in Kansas City who is a longtime client who's amazing, um, and up into Washington State, and then on the East Coast, obviously, <clears throat> up and down the East Coast. Fantastic. Now you create a roadmap, right? To achieve future successes. Can you explain that process? Yeah. Yeah. That's, excuse me. Um, The roadmap is, uh, starts with an assessment. Um, It's a long, about three hour uh, set of questions where we go back and forth. Um, Mm. It's a, it's a whole rubric and I have to do it because nobody, I I can't hand that off as a form to my clients. Oh, so it's a one-on-one engagement where we're going through all of this stuff and you're probing, not just getting cursory answers that you look at. Oh, oh, this is really interesting. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's based on what I used to call, I used to have a whole more complicated system than I do right now. Uh Um, that was called the six pillars of a successful business. I still use my, um, assessment with that set of six and it's, um, vision, it's financial stability, it's operations, it's your product. Um, it's your, the way you distribute and your hospitality. So it, within each one of those, there's a set of questions that digs down and, you know, <clears throat> I think you probably know this, a client comes to you and they say, this is my problem. And I agree. They're probably right. They know their business well enough to know that, but the assessment digs deeper into the why. Oh yes, uh, right. You Cause you've told me right. You've told me that this is your problem, that this is the way you want to solve it. Uh-huh. But I I come to the table with a lot more variety of experience, and with that variety, <clears throat> I can help them nail what needs what the steps are that are going to get them from point A to point B with the greatest time efficiency. I call this the business of a thousand details, and you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up, and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. 
Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? Let's go back to hospitality, because that is such a pivotal foundational element. It always has been. I mean, it really defines our business, but more so now than ever, because the pandemic has changed so much and that guests, you know, during the pandemic, we're looking for convenience and safety, not just service, but convenience and safety. And an element of that will always now be part of the model. But mm-hmm. the, the, the real hospitality piece, because the human interaction is so important, is going to be equally important with convenience and, and continued safety and all those things. But how do you define hospitality? Because everyone has a different definition of what that word really means. And we could take a hundred definitions and kind of pull them all together. And we'd say yes to that and yes to this and yes to yeah. that. And it's like, but you got to practice this. It can't be just a, a, a mission that gets posted on the wall that never gets looked at again. It's like hospitality is something that is should be so innate and we should train everyone in our organization to know what that means, practice it on a daily basis, whatever their definition is, because there's so many, so much crossover to that. But tell us, you know, give us the question. Yeah. What do you um, feel is really <clears throat> hospital? What is it about? What's hospitality all about? Uh, um, I always like to have the conversation of what hospitality is uh, at its core and mm-hmm. that it, the word hospitality came out of um, somebody being served. And uh, back in the day, it was, you know, medieval times, somebody was traveling down a road and they ended up in a um, in a monastery, oftentimes, or a church, right. and were served there. Correct. And that, um, mm-hmm, that to me is, uh, you can't, you can't have hospitality without understanding that you are serving and um, you are caring for. And that, and that word hospital inside hospitality uh-huh, uh-huh. is, is, uh, it's, it's the the essence, right? So yeah. so it's both um, serving. It's also caring for. In a, uh, I am serving something that will make you better. Um, you know, giving somebody a stew that is, or a, a soup that really restores. Like the idea that broth was one of the first things that was served in restaurants. Broth is very healing. Yeah, nurturing Those, foods. Right. Gotcha. That to me is. Um, has to be understood in and refreshed in and one of my clients does that very well i mean that was i i actually pulled that with his assistants that i hadn't seen before and and it was a really brilliant idea to bring that to the fore to the staff and to remind the staff that that is something in a quarterly uh in their case quarterly workshops that they do um but hospitality is seeing somebody where they are and um, there are servers that do this incredibly well. They they see what that somebody does or doesn't want to be <clears throat> very well cared for during the uh, meal, and they respond um, with that. Do you want a cocktail? Yes, I do. Tell me about this and this one, and the server can do that. Um, that is something that, uh, as as a human, I utterly enjoy that experience of somebody helping me to have a good experience that night. That's more than obviously whoever I'm sitting across the table from, I'm really looking forward to talking to them, but to know that this person is helping that experience even more Mm -hmm. as a consumer, as as somebody being taken care of is delightful. And I want to infuse that into um, into the restaurant experience. I sat across from uh, really good friends of mine about a week ago at a Venezuelan restaurant and the and the server came over and, you know, what would you like uh, kind of, you know, expectation of, you know, they, they were going to lean in or lean out depending on how we um, how we engaged with them. And they were on it. They were so perceptive of this. Uh, set of people like they kind of knew me, but they didn't know the other people across the table, and they were incredibly curious people, and it led to this fantastic meal. Wow, really wonderful! You know, I really I'm intrigued by that whole hospital analogy, and and the first thing that comes to mind is um, 
The average restaurant can take care of needs and care for guests. And that's what guests expect. Okay. That's, that's the basics, but that's almost like you have a cut, you put a bandaid on it, right? It's yeah. a bandaid solution. <laughs> but when you can really go above and beyond and anticipate their needs and literally sweep them away into this magical experience, it goes yeah. so above the caring piece and the service piece. It's just, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like it's yeah. what separates and a good restaurant from a great restaurant, you know? It's also the perception of, um, I find these days, there's sort of a confusion going on of what the consumer is expecting from a restaurant. My, you know, I know a lot of people who aren't as knowledgeable about restaurants and they go to a restaurant yes. and they tell me afterwards that they had a less than stellar experience and they walk me through what happened. And it was like, that wasn't the restaurant, like your expectation of what your experience was going to be there was off. Oh. And this is, this is an education that uh -huh. I don't know how we're going to, this is, you know, pandemic, endemic uh, coming out of the pandemic. I think that's something that um, restaurant critics, I don't, I don't know where it's going to start infusing into people, the consumer side of things to have the expectation where it should be. You know, it's I, I have to say that it is a you know two way street here that the consumer also has to be prepared for what is going to happen at that and and it be the right fit. You know, you're not going to have a oh, fine dining experience at a pizza place. That I mean, it could happen certainly if okay. that's the kind of place right. that you want to have that type of experience. But you know, when you go into a diner, you should mostly expect experience expect a diner experience. But if if the that particular diner is doing an elevated diner experience, okay. But is it clear to the customer that that's what's going to happen? And, you know, a lot of people aren't as knowledgeable as we are about the nuances of and the niche of yes. brands. You know, that's another interesting point because sure, if, if there's a diner that really cares about treating every customer amazingly and, and yes. delivers an elevated experience, that's tremendous. But and I, I think love a good diner experience. <laughs> My expectation would be going into the classic coffee shop like on Seinfeld and having a somewhat surly person saying, yep, take a seat. We'll we'll right. get to you when we get to you, you know, and and here's your coffee, and, you know, and that's and, and part that's, of an experience. And that's also. part of an experience, right? That's like you, you should know. go in there and be like, oh, yeah. and you see that on Seinfeld. They're kind of like, right. this is awesome. They're they're yelling at me. Oh, you there's know? a rubber band in your soup. Oh, I know who the cook was today, you know. <laughs> exactly. For sure. All right. So that, that's very interesting. Let's talk about your cafes in Baltimore. And and now I understand and correct me if I'm wrong, but did you own them for 18 years? You started them and, and you ran them for quite some time. And yeah, tell us the um, story of starting those, what your challenges were, how you first you know opened your first restaurants, because we have people listening to the podcast that are starting the first restaurants right now. And right. Oh my I gosh, know. there's a thousand details to opening a place. And you're you're opening a place that I want to get into in a moment. And, and we're yeah, gonna talk all about level church of bar, service, right? Let's go back to your history and yeah, and, and actually this is um yeah, it's it's a really good question. So when I started, I was uh part of a franchise. I was a uh, part of a Chesapeake Bagel Bakery. Okay. And so what ended up happening is the timeline is yeah. nine years of running a Chesapeake Bagel Bakery um as a franchisee, and then uh, keeping the same location, defranchising and opening a, um, as we called ourselves, a fiercely independent cafe. So that was a shift. Like we're no longer serving bagels. We're serving all kinds of other things with, you know, uh, great deliciousness. Like that was one of our big things is deliciousness. So, oh, of um, for, uh, for a person listening in that, um, it was much more like a de uh, New York deli experience, very little seating. And the seating was outside because <laughs> we were in a office building and the um, top uh, floor tenant didn't want their staff milling about down in the cafe. They, they wanted them back up to work. So they set us up for quick just quick serve, yeah. which was actually great. I loved it because of a whole bunch of reasons, but you know, we yeah, really we had dynamic, to constantly moving. It's like, okay, yeah. next boom, 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 get yeah. the coffee and out, get the, you know, whatever yeah. your food and, is. And I think, I think that created an interesting challenge that we responded to, which was, okay, well, that's the paradigm that we have. So we're not going to fight that. We're going to figure out how to make sure somebody has a stellar experience within the 
three to five minutes that they're here. And whether they're coming to pick up a latte and they're having a little uh, back and forth with the with the barista, yes. or whether they're getting an egg sandwich because you know the egg mm-hmm. sandwich on on Friday morning was usually for the person that had been drinking too much the night before. So there was a story about that that the that the person m- might want to tell the staff member because they knew them well enough. And you know, with it, we figured out that we could have incredible um, customer loyalty if we could figure out the three to five minutes and it be oh, a I really positive interactive experience oh, yes. in a very short period of time. Touch every person in a personal way in a short period of time, but really make an impression. Yes. Yes. A, I, and I, my yeah, favorite, I my that. favorite was one of our uh, staff members. Um, I remember her walking past me behind me and handing off a sandwich to this person with great care and saying to the person, with a real eye to eye experience, I made this with care. And they didn't mean it like, this is what I do with every sandwich. They meant it like, I see you. I know you want a really fantastic sandwich. Here you go. Um, And then, yes, I I defranchised and went independent. And Mm that was challenging because it was a time when independent cafes were uh, in early days. This would have been 2005 that I opened it up. And um, it, you know, again, very urban spot. So people expected to have a quick turnaround experience. So we had kind of had a, a learning curve early on with the bagel shop, but we were always making bagels. We were always running to the back to make bagels. <laughs> In the midst of service. And once we defranchised and could just be at the front of the uh, house, it was great. Like, you know, we had this great dynamic of a team of four people prepping sandwiches, egg sandwiches, breakfast sandwiches, oatmeal, serving oatmeal. And it was, you know, it's like a dance. Um, uh, that's one of the things I love about um, uh, restaurants in general and cafes is that choreography of how well you can serve that many people in, you know, in, in we had the power hour between um, 12 and one. And if we could get 85 people through in an hour, we would do, you know, like the happy dance afterwards, how well we had done. Right so, on. yeah, right on. yeah. Wow. So would you say there was a, a learning curve um, or, or a really dramatic, steep learning curve, or it's just something that came natural to you and methodically approached that business from a business standpoint? And I guess what I'm getting at is a lot of people um, that I've come across that that start restaurants, they either think, oh, we've got these amazing recipes and they don't realize all the details that go into business. And it's more than just putting out great food and giving good service from your staff. I mean, there's so many other things. You have to run a business. You have to be obviously financially minded. You have to take care of the details about profit and cost. Take care of your people too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, all these things are so, so, so important. Um, How did you approach those things? And what systems would you say you put into place because they were critical operating systems, regardless of the size of a business, a business yeah. is a business. It could be a tiny little um, entity. It could be a multiple restaurant situation, but all of those systems are common and, and very important. Yeah. Um, for me, I think some of it came naturally and I just, I did not have many outside influences telling me how to run my restaurant. So mm-hmm. I approached it from what gut my gut reaction was to how I should handle the things. And um, I help owners think that way too, of like, if your instinct tells you this and you've been going counter to it for some reason, let's figure out why you're going counter to like dig into that, figure out why you want to run it this way, but you're running it a different way. Yeah. Peel back and, that and, onion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. And um that that experience of really thinking about your business from the outside, what you as a consumer would feel if you walked in the door. And I I mean, I've had times when I've helped, I used to walk through my restaurant and do the customer path and see what it was like. And, you know, obviously I was like, uh, this egg set, this uh, egg, we had used to have, uh, you know, a case where people could pick up food. These eggs are out of place. These uh quinoa salads out of place, you know, there's that. But as a consumer, I wouldn't know that. As a consumer, I want to be able to reach for the salad where it should be. And so um, that's something that I really work hard on uh, having the owner 
experience their restaurant as an outsider yes, and then start fixing definitely. that stuff. And, the, and a lot of times they're like, I don't know why we've been doing it this way. Right. I don't either. <laughs> Let's okay. talk about that. Let's figure out how we can move. And, you know, when you, when you shift and move things in a restaurant and customers are used to being served a certain way, that shift doesn't always, isn't always well-received. So it has to be done. Like I said, like sometimes something that you think could be done in three months is going to take a year to shift over because consume, your, your guest is not going to be able to figure out that you changed something from this to that and they're insulted and leave. So you've got to, you've got to educate your customer just as much. I, I love that um, old uh, business that their, their tagline was, um, uh, an educated customer is our best customer. I've heard that. And mm-hmm. Remember that? Like, sure that do. was that was Sims, I think. The, yeah, the, I don't remember uh, what it was, but I do remember hearing that for sure. And that's a great phrase. Yeah. And and Agreed. I took that on very strongly in my team and and figured out how we needed to to um, educate our customers so that they knew that we had chili and that it wasn't too spicy, that, that it was approachable, that we had interesting international soups and they were approachable that, you know, even though Martha had knew what Nigerian groundnut stew was and they didn't, um, we would educate them and and tell them what it was and tell them that, you know, not to be afraid of this thing that you didn't know. Uh, Moroccan stew, like that, that was, to me, that was a lot of it is educating our customer and, and um, making them feel welcome. And yeah, all the business aspects that fall from there, like we ended up with a lot of catering. I, at first, I didn't really know what I was doing with the catering. I was just like, swinging whatever I could to make that, uh, you know, I was getting asked to do catering and I didn't quite know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I had to pull back from that at one point, oh. you know, you can't, that was one that, uh, the best advice I got when I was opening the, um, the, uh, Chesapeake bagel was, um, one of the people that worked for Chesapeake Bagel said, you can't start your catering until you're about four months in. And I was like, what are you talking about? We can handle that. And thank God I listened to them because we were not ready. I mean, this that Groundhog's Day of running a business mm-hmm. is something mm-hmm. that I think is really hard for new owners to yes. understand. It's a term that they probably don't even know yet, but I'll just say that. Please explain. Yeah. I know what um, yeah. you're talking about, but... <laughs> Let's talk about Groundhog but, uh, Day you, and, and approach yeah, to business. Yeah, yeah. Um, service should be relatively the same every day, day after day. Yes, and that that can feel really boring, or that can, if done well, it can stay fresh. And it is something that when you come in, that the lights get turned on before the oven gets turned on. All these kinds of things are part of the ground massive Groundhog's Day of every day the same things happen in the same order. And there is a reason for it. And a new operator, I think that's the hardest thing for them because they think that just all happens. And I yes, remember I remember having to write that list for my staff and thinking, hmm. this is so elemental, but it's not. It's not elemental. It it there is a rationale to why you turn the 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 lights on in the cafe before you turn the the oven on. And there, you know, it I could go on. I won't bore you with the you know, you know the list, but it's it's that whole set of things. And you know, when you pull the muffins out and then you spin them around halfway through the bake, all those things are part of the groundhog groundhog's day. And you just can't that's what makes your place your place. All those minutia mm-hmm. that will make that food taste that way and can't be found elsewhere. You know, paying bills is one time-consuming restaurant detail in a thousand other details. With Plate IQ, your accounts payable is handled accurately and automatically. Plate IQ works with 30,000 restaurants of all types, eliminating manual data entry in your accounts payable process. Technology takes care of line item general ledger coding to invoice payment through Plate IQ's vendor pay network. Now, no more paper checks. Your restaurant can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to payment and even earn cash back from paying over 180,000 vendors in the network on time. Plate IQ is your paperless digital filing cabinet that frees your workspace from invoices, receipts, and statements. You can search anytime by date, item, or vendor. 
see when everything is due, and manage schedules, approvals, payments, and filing right from your mobile. Pay digitally by check, ACH, or your Plate IQ card. Best of all, no money leaves your account until it's received by your vendor, which improves your cash flow and cuts confusion. It's time to check out Plate IQ at plateiq.com. You know, you're you're bringing up something that's really close to heart for me right now because my my 16 year old daughter just started working in a restaurant as one of her very first jobs. And when she was applying in the last couple of weeks, she applied to several different restaurants. And interestingly, the other three that she did not end up working for, you could just tell that there was nothing special about the team chemistry. She'd go in and apply and people weren't particularly friendly. It almost felt a little off-putting. Whatever. They maybe didn't have an application nearby. <laughs> didn't, didn't really, you know, she could innately know that there just wasn't a good vibe going on. And then all of a sudden she walks into this one place and everyone is friendly to her. And, and she's filling out her application and different people in different departments are approaching her and just chatting and just being friendly and, and really. So she's now working there. And I think she's on her sixth diff- shift or so. And they're long. Oh, awesome. She's a hostess and it's a busy place. And she's got eight hour shifts and she is loving every minute of it. And the that's chemistry awesome. between the kitchen and the front of house and even the dishwashers that, you know, some of them are from, um, you know, different countries and, you know, their language skills are, they're learning English and, and stuff and they're friendly and they're engaging like the whole And they're learning is, English because you know the staff I mean? is, yeah, yes. yeah, and, that's and, awesome. And that just speaks volumes about the training and the approach and the way that the owners and the managers want their business to run. And obviously the guest experience is elevated by the staff experience. And so my, my yes. younger daughter placed a takeout order there just the other day, just, just because her sister is now working at this restaurant. And I went to pick it up and I walked in the door oh, and I was, was treated, I was treated like I was the most important person in the place, even oh. though no one knew who I was. You know? Oh, I was really? Simply just they didn't know you were the dad. Were- um, no, no, they didn't. So I'm like, oh, wow. that's awesome for you. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you can tell that it's genuine and it happens with consistency. And obviously in six shifts, it's like this is her experience and she's loving going to work and and the time just flies by and she's having a grand old time and she's meeting new guests every single day. And it's a friendly, happy, uplifted place. Yes. And it's and it's doing a wonderful job. And obviously that is, the reputation well, that comes oh, along that with is it. And, a really yeah. That's a really fantastic hospitality it is. experience. It is and, for sure. And, and for her, my God. I know. It's to, I mean, she knows she's only going to be working there in the summer, right? You know, it could be a year-round gig when she's okay. in school. She can fill in part-time. So this is a year-round operation, and it's very close to our house and whatnot. And wow. I mean, That's it's just, so great. But yeah, I just wanted to make the connection between just an average place that you know, nothing special is happening there. Yeah. They're, they might be putting out perfectly fine food and drink and, you know, and they're just, you know, yeah, but, but this that's place one... has something extra, something special. And that definitely translates. To yeah. And I think, so. I think they probably have that groundhog's day down yeah, to, to an sure. art. Cause you know, if, mm-hmm. if you figure out how to do, how to do the operational stuff really well, then you have time and space and air to be able to have a happy day and mm-hmm. an engaging experience right, right. for the staff. And then that translates on. Yeah. That's, that's a really cool. I'm, I'm happy for her. I'm, I'm thrilled. And yeah. every day, oh my gosh, she comes home at like 8 PM. She goes in at noon. She comes home at 8 PM and she dances in the door. Like she that's just had the, awesome. you know, the most fun time she's ever had. And she's just glowing about every experience. So I'm like, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. But especially for someone who really cares who, who really has very specific ideas about what hospitality is. It's just reinforced by that example. Yeah. Yeah. You and know? my daughter, it's hilarious that you're saying that my daughter is now 24. Mm-hmm. And um, from the time she's, she was working here in high school, but then when she got to college, she started taking jobs up there and it wasn't long before she got pulled in to be like, the head bartender that they figured out that she knew a little bit more about hospitality. She didn't tell them the, yes. my backstory okay. because she, she didn't want, she didn't want though. to, yep. but it she had obvious. something special and, and she was attracted yeah. to those mm-hmm. more interesting, uh, engaging, cheerful places. And right. you know, that that's awesome. 
she's out of hospitality now uh, in, in the true sense of restaurants, but she's working for a museum and she's using all those skills. They are life life skills. skills. Restaurants are teaching life skills. They sure are. You know, and it's funny because you have no idea where your life is going to lead. My very first job, I was, I was a dishwasher at at a private country club. Um, in Massachusetts, you know, and it wasn't a particularly pleasant job, but my parents were very hardworking people. They instilled a strong work ethic in me. And I approached every single day with motivation and I'm going to do the best I can at this. And something was recognized back then early on. And within three months, it's like I got promoted to bartender, even though I didn't know how to tend bar (laughs) and I was trained to bartend. And that's literally where I, where I learned the foundation of what hospitality meant, because, okay, this is a private golf club and and the members obviously had certain um levels of expectation and i i easily assimilated that that level of service and hospitality and and they were just i i've said this story before in this podcast but it's like i made quite a bit of money in, in gratuities and tips and but it was genuine i was i was really i was getting to know these people on a personal basis i was seeing them almost every single day i was making friends with the clientele and and i was being rewarded for it you know in my pocketbook but that's not why i did it i enjoyed bartending and i enjoyed the interaction it was a new skill to have it was a life skill that i then used later in college and i never thought i'd go on to open and, and start restaurants right. this is really where it begins and be be you helping know, but, people but helping true, owners now. Yeah. True hospitality was recognized and it, and it was such a personal thing for, for me to deliver great experiences so that they had wonderful times and the money just followed that. But I, that's not why I did it. It's like, I yeah. like these people and, and that's part of it. It's like you get to know and you become friends with your guests. And in my restaurants, you know, my staff were asked for by name, guests would come back. The regulars would always ask for this person or that person. And everyone just, you know, it just, created this amazing environment. That's so good. Let's talk yeah. about Church Bar. Um, well, what, was, yeah. what was the inspiration for it? Where are you in the process? Tell us about the ins and outs of starting a new enterprise. Yeah. Um, we started this in November of 2020, mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, the pandemic was a blip away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. Um, we are still not open and that is not because of supply chain. That's just how long it takes. And we've chosen to have investor funding for it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But right. back to the beginning, what is church? Church is a um, the brainchild of Chelsea Gregoire, who's um, our managing partner, who is an ex-seminary student um, who is, you know, trans. And so they came from, uh, being in a seminary school, but because when they came out, that wasn't acceptable at Liberty University, I see. they they shifted gears and decided mm. that they 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 had enough experience bartending. But then over time, they're like, "But I don't have my. I thought I was going to have a congregation. I thought I was going to have. You know, I'm really missing out on that." And it's translated into this thing that's called church that is also, you know, back to the definition of hospitality is a place where people can come and be refreshed and Mm -hmm. build community and um, be received whoever they are. Uh, And, and so that was the impetus for the, for the space. They have opened 18 different restaurants and bars. um, And uh, now this one is, they are 30, I want to say 33. I may be wrong on that, um, but about that age. And um, I am definitely the most experienced of the three partners. And uh, and then the third partner is a PR person who is a big positive influence for, for us as well. And keeping, keeping our business going in the direction, like we're staying current. That's one of our big things is to make sure we stay current. And by having to stay current. Um, Chelsea is going to be traveling and learning from other people around the country. And we're hoping to get into some, um, you know, travel, European travel too, so that they get to experience things that they haven't yet in the hospital, you know, which is me like, no, you've got to see hospitality in 
you know, fill in the blank mm-hmm, London mm-hmm. For as, sure. as a fantastic, you know, for cocktail bars, yes. but the cocktail bar scene there is amazing. And I want them to see that as well. So the business will be a mosaic of different experiences with hospitality at its core from around the world. You already said it's a place that's going to be very inclusive and welcoming, which is yep. really awesome. What uh-huh. do you envision the vibe? What's the vision for church? Will it have sort of a spiritual vibe to it? Um, oh. I know that you have a you have a tagline filled with the spirits, which yes, is awesome. Yeah. Tell us about you know the ambiance, the vibe. What are we going to expect when we walk in the door? Um, Besides a, a welcoming environment. Excellent question. So it really is about a cocktail crafted experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I use both of those words uh, purposefully. Obviously, we we will have and have and I will explain the food part of it, but we are expecting that when people come there that they have never had a cocktail like this. Um, and that crafted uh, use of the word crafted is both what's in the glass, yes. but also what happens at the table. Um, there are several different spaces inside our, um, it's a, it's a townhouse for lack of a better word I like uh, that. Okay. in a very yes. urban um, mm-hmm. environment and not a, not a very fancy neighborhood. <laughs> Um, and each one of the, each, we assume that when, uh, people come into our place that they could come seven different times and have seven different, slightly varied experiences because of the air and light and space in the, in the building. Okay. And air, light space, that's all, you know, that's Mm -hmm. also spirituality. So it's, it, it, it is, um, bringing in spirituality in a restorative way. Yes. Restorative is also using the word restaurant in it. I mean, there is that element. It's, it's a, it's a play all the time um, on the, on that idea. And then I do want to um, describe the, the food part, because I think it's, this is again, like a super contemporary thought. Um, we are having a chef residency um, rather than a menu that you have every single time. Um, there will be a chef to train our staff every quarter and they will come in. And for one week while we're doing what we're calling classics week, which will be, you know, the cocktails will be the very basic and the menu will be very basic. Um, That week, our team will learn a different menu, but everything on the menu is also very crafted so that um, every time we change over the menu, there will always be a crispy potato. There will always be a, um, well, there will always be charcuterie because that's something that we will that we as the team are going to make sure we have and dessert we always have. But the main ten items: an interesting salad, a um, wild card item. Whenever a chef applies, they have to fit into that rubric so that there's some consistency. Mm-hmm. So when a customer comes this year, next year, they're like, "Wait, the crispy potato that I had last time." Well. We have a different chef who's created a crisp, different crispy potato, but this is what it is. And they're like, "Ooh, I actually really want to try that." Right. And um, yeah. so there's there is a, a, a consistency um, within our uh, very honed um, expectation of how we're doing a hus- our hospitality. But it is definitely leaning into the craft cocktail in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah. Um, I also want to say that one thing that's been very important to me. Um, I am a, I do drink, I'm not an excessive drinker, but I do appreciate this movement of um, mocktails. And uh, I have many friends who aren't either don't drink or don't want to drink or have chosen in their life to, to eliminate alcohol from their, from their life. And we are crafting the cocktails so that there can be a mocktail version. So everything on the men, every cocktail on the menu will have a mocktail counterpart, which is, you know. Yeah. Very few places are doing that, but I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? Where people feel like they're part of their experience, but they don't have to imbibe in alcohol, but they can still get a crafted drink that, um, that looks great. It has presentation, it has zest and it's refreshing and they don't need to have that alcohol. And isn't that, isn't that the, right. Isn't Hmm. that the element that is so true is that you've, you've come to be refreshed and absolutely true. That's whatever Whatever version of it. I mean, I think that's, that that goes back to me and my huh. my cafe world of like I want you to leave refreshed. I want you to leave better than you came. So 
Wonderful. Yeah. Well, Martha, it's been a super pleasure having you on the podcast and it's great talking restaurant strategy and it's great yeah. talking opening restaurants and about culture and labor. We've covered some ground today yeah, and, we and I certainly appreciate have. You being here and, <laughs> and foundationally what hospitality is really all about. So thanks yeah. for being with us. Yeah, absolutely. Take awesome. care. Well, audience, thank you again for tuning in. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We can't wait to see you in the next episode and we hope you all stay well. Thanks, Martha, for being with us. I so enjoyed talking shop with you. We have so much in common about hospitality, what makes a great restaurant, as well as restaurant strategy. I wish you all the best of success with Church Bar as you move forward with your plans. Thanks also to the sponsors of this week's episode, Plate IQ, Devo, and Serve, the restaurant training app at srvnow.com. I hope you all stay well. We can't wait to see you in the next episode. Stay tuned. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's a treacherous road, and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy, and I'll show you how it's done. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.